The information and opinions presented in this ARC Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the ARC Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas podcast for June 8th. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Trzakian. So what are we talking about? We're going to continue with this theme of the implications from drops in North American oil production. But today we're going to focus on what does it mean for North American natural gas? Yeah, because it's oil and gas and typically out of a well comes both oil and gas. That's right. So if we're going to see a decline in oil production, then we're going to have a decline in gas production as well. A lot of people don't appreciate that of all of the gas in the U.S. right now, about 40% of it is coming from wells that are actually meant to be producing oil, yeah. and the gas is just a byproduct. Yeah. So as the oil goes down, gas supply will go down too. Yeah. So, so we want to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just for some preamble terminology, dry gas is gas that comes from a well that's drilled into the earth that is dominantly gas. Yeah, you drill that well just to get the gas. And that's... there's not a lot of liquids associated with it. Whereas associated gas is gas that comes out when you drilled for oil, and by association, you happen to get a lot of gas, as you just mentioned. Yeah, like a free byproduct. Yeah, a free uh, byproduct. And there's a lot of that, as I said, about 40% yep. now is associated with that. Before we get into that, I thought about this energy file vignette that you have yeah. around called Piercing the Earth's Resources. Yeah, that's of a drilling rig, a stack of drill pipe that really talks about the technological breakthroughs that we've had in the drilling for hydrocarbons over the course of the last, oh, especially 10 to 15 years. It's just been remarkable in terms of the step change in the speed and agility and precision in which we can drill a fairly small hole in the ground, less than a foot in diameter. We can send that drill pipe down several kilometers and pinpoint it with precision now much faster than we could two, three times as fast as we could only 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And your vignette talks about it. the old days, you know, you literally were, you weren't drilling, you were pounding for oil and gas, oh, repeatedly yeah. pounding a spike into the ground. Uh, by the way, I was going to ask you, I know at Heritage Park in Calgary, I'm not yeah. sure they're, if they're going to open, but they are going to put together a replica of that type of drilling rig, the pounding yeah. kind. Yeah, it's there. It's been there for a long time. That was one of the original rigs that worked in Turner Valley. So you could uh, go see that, but it's undergoing a major renovation and to get it working again. And part of a much larger project, which is associated with what they're calling the Natural Resources Center. So I think it's important you bring that up because as you said, it's a hundred and, oh, well, I'm going back now to the say 1910s, 1900s, pre, pre that era. The way you, you drilled a hole in the ground for hydrocarbons was basically pounding a big metal spike. And it was a very slow, arduous process. Then came rotary drilling. And by the 1920s and 30s, rotary drilling. And it was a major step change in our ability to go deeper, to go more precisely into where we wanted to drill and faster. And so the ability to extract hydrocarbons in much greater quantity took a step change. Fast forward to, well, it was around 20 years ago that it really started to get much faster. But the last 10 the combination of all sorts of technologies, including material science, digital technologies, all sorts of things, just have enabled the things that are on this vignette at energyfile.org. It's just been remarkable. And that has created the abundance 
of both oil and natural gas. It actually started with gas, the shale gas, mm -hmm. and then right. went into the oil side. And then when we went to the oil side to use the technology, we got more associated gas. That's right. Yeah. And this technology, you know, the real breakthrough was being able to go horizontal you with the drilling well. rig, but then also the fracking, which basically, you know, we knew there was hydrocarbons in these reservoirs, but they were so tight that the hydrocarbons couldn't flow. So right. the fracking really created roadways to bring those hydrocarbons to surface. And so because of that, and, and you say about 2010 or 11, we, we saw a major change in the cost of gas in North America. For example, before that technology, the average price for many years was about $8 per MMBTU at uh, Henry mm -hmm. Hub. And with the shale gas, we'll call it the shale gas, when this technology came out, it brought it down to about $4 in 2010. Now, technology has continued to get better and better, and the prices have fallen. And the last several years, prices have been more like 250 to 280 And a lot of that is because now we're getting all this gas coming from oil wells, and it doesn't really care what the price is. You know, it is just a free byproduct. You know, if the oil right. economics make sense, then the gas comes to market, and that's put even more pressure yeah. on yeah. the natural gas. And here in Western Canada, we had the same effect. In fact, things have even been worse for us the last several years, and we've talked about this on the podcast because we had this problematic policy on our regional gathering system. So at times, our gas, especially in the shoulder seasons, like the summer and spring, was a dollar Canadian per gigajoule. So yeah. basically, not a lot of value in the gas no, at all. And on a, on a nominal dollar basis, in other words, not adjusted for inflation, uh, we were back to where the price of natural gas was you know, in the 1990s. And, yeah, and, and it's just ridiculously cheap. And th this had consequences for the producers of dry gas. So, yeah, the people that were producing for the oil, they didn't really care what the price of gas was. That's not what was driving right. their economics. But for those companies that had reservoirs that only produced gas, it has been a difficult couple of years where they've acquired more debt and their companies have become much more fragile yeah, uh, by yeah. producing this very low-priced commodity. Yeah, it's now actually even gone into the international markets because – the United States was opening up its LNG terminals for export. I mean, there's just such an abundance of gas, whether it came from dry wells or from associated oil wells, the ability to export. And then, of course, other sources of gas in the world, whether it be from Russia or other major gas producers, just pounded the international price down yeah. too. Yeah, the glut has gone global. Now we have prices cheaper, sometimes internationally, for LNG than we have yeah. uh, here in uh, North America. But we'll get to that. Yep. Let's just talk a little bit more, though, about these weak natural gas producers that are left because of the last several years. These companies... Their equity prices are way down because they haven't been making mm -hmm. any money. They've been losing money selling their commodities, so many of them have very high debt levels. Also, many of these natural gas producers took on these take-or-pay contracts for transportation and processing. So they anticipated they were going to grow before they knew how much gas was coming from the oil wells. And so they signed up to companies to say, well, I'll pay for transportation for the next 10 years so that you build me a pipeline. But it turns out they aren't growing because of the prices being so low, but they still have to pay money to these midstreamers that they've committed to for all this infrastructure. Yeah. So that's been another burden. And then lately, some have extended themselves even more to buy oil assets because they said, okay, there's no money in gas, so you're going to have to like yeah. get into the oil. Yeah. And they've taken on debt for that. And so you're seeing natural gas producers, especially the dry ones, say to their shareholders, you know what, no more capital in the ground. We have to repay debt. We have to cut dividends. We have to sell some of these assets. We have to get out of some of these third-party contracts. And it's really difficult. And one example is Chesapeake Energy who was the shale pioneer, actually, back in 2010. Mm -hmm. At one point, they were the second largest U.S. natural gas producer. Just uh, they're talking about entering 
bankruptcy and they have $9 billion of debt, just the company itself. So very fragile companies because of the last couple of very difficult years. Yeah, I mean, this is an amazing reversal of fortune, literally. I mean, 15 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, we all thought we're running out of oil, peak oil. We all thought we're running out of gas. We're on a treadmill. We're going to freeze in the winter. And then the technology takes us from this era of scarcity to one of complete abundance, so much so that on the gas side, it becomes a waste product. We can't even give it away. It's just uh, an incredible, as I said, reversal of fortune, all driven by technology. Yeah. And just to put some numbers in it, just the associated gas coming from oil, you know, the Permian is the big oil Mm -hmm. play. If you look over the last several years, the Permian is now producing 16 BCF per day. That is like more than all the gas that's coming from Western Canada and about 10 BCF per day of growth since the start of 2017. So this is just all abundant gas that comes out at any price, and that's really what's killed the dry gas producers or made it very difficult for them. And in Canada, we've had pretty steady production, but lately we've started to see gas drop. So in 2019, we saw about 0.5 BCF per day less production from Western Canada. And now we're starting to see the U.S. drop, not because of the dry gas necessarily declining, but the oil production coming off in the Permian and other places, we're starting to see declines in uh, North American gas. Yeah, so we're starting to see a different kind of reversal now. So the technology, as we talked about the drilling technology that created this abundance, created a lot of excitement in the capital markets. So investors were keen to provide the equity capital to continue funding this. The banks provided cheap debt over the course of the last 10 years. So technology combined with money leads to a lot of drilling, takes us into this abundance. And now, we've talked in our previous podcasts, equity is very difficult to get. Debt is going to be difficult to get. So now we've got the technology, but no money to drill these wells. The price is exceedingly low because we've got too much. So the whole thing is uh, very dynamic as we think about the next year or two. For sure. Right now, the price is very low. Current price for North American natural gas is under $2, which is very low. And we think it's actually going to stay that way, even though the U.S. gas production is dropping a little bit because of the oil coming off and Mm -hmm. Canada as well. The, The system is actually still in glut right now because we have weak demand. We had a very mild winter. The coronavirus has also hurt demand. And the LNG exports are falling because the international market is so weak that it doesn't make money to Hmm. buy gas at Henry Hub, spend a bunch of money liquefying it, and then ship it off to a market where you get less for your product than what you paid for the gas here in North Hmm. America. And so even though the production's coming off, demand's coming off more, and the market looks very challenged. However, if we roll forward to the winter— Yeah, I was going to ask you about winter. Like, are are we—what are we looking at still— big storage glut? Well, we're probably going to head into winter with a big glut and more gas and storage than we typically have. But if you look at those oil rates, you look at how little drilling is going on, the expectation is that the associated gas from oil is going to keep falling. And then when winter comes, that's when we get the higher demand for natural gas. And we may quickly flip into a market that's actually quite tight. 
and combine that with the fact that LNG is is weak now, but LNG should start to pick up in the winter as well. Like countries like Europe and Northern Hemisphere countries, even China, are going to demand more natural gas in the winter. And so there's a view that this market could quickly flip into a market where we're going to have to incent more gas to be produced. And since it's not going to come from the oil wells anymore— it's going to have to come from those dry gas producers yep. who are, you know, in pretty bad shape right now. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? I mean, there's only one dynamic that's going to move with all this, and that's price. Yeah, that's price. Well, and, you know, there's been a lot of data about how much money it's going to take for people to get a return on investment in natural gas in North America, in those dry plays. I look at some McKinsey data, which shows that North America has 25 years of dry gas supply that can be produced at under $3 per MMBTU, assuming these people want a 10% rate of return, and they only get half cycle. So half cycle means, you know, they've already got some infrastructure there. They've already paid for the pipes. They just get a return on the incremental capital that goes mm-hmm. in and not pay for, like, the, all the money that they've sunk into that investment. So the view was, well, it probably goes up to 3 bucks, and then those natural gas, dry gas plays, like in the Utica Haynesville, the Marcellus, all those producers just start drilling at three bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case because I don't know that uh, they're going to be able to find people to give the money to get a 10% return yeah. uh, considering their balance sheets. Yeah. So we've got gas at under $2. It's a long way to three still. Yes, it's a long way to three. But even at three, they only get a 10% return potentially. And here's the other thing. We're going to need a lot of growth from these dry gas plays, and you're going to need infrastructure. You're going to need more gas plants. You're going to need additional takeaway capacity and big pipes to be built where the producers are going to have to sign up to 10-year-plus commitments to send gas out on these pipelines because the Marcellus, you know, there's only so much pipe. It'll Mm -hmm. grow for a little bit, but it'll hit its constraints again. And will those producers be willing to sign up to these take-or-pay contracts as they did in the past and take that liability on when they already have a lot of debt? So if we think about this more broadly, we've got a glut of gas, we've got a glut of oil, we've got investment that used to be a glut, but it's all completely dried up, and we're going forward into the late 2020s, into 2021, the situation potentially where we're going to see declines in the oil side, declines on the gas side. At some point, storage clears, and the thesis is that at that point, the scarcity somewhat comes back for both commodities. The price of oil goes up. Oil drilling potentially starts again, depending on how much money there is. If that, then you get more associated gas. So gas prices may escalate, but could be offset if oil prices go. I mean, it's a very complicated dynamic. Yeah, no, you're right. But but let's think about this. By the winter of 2020, I mean, I don't know how no, much not, oil drilling is going to happen, not but eventually, not yeah, this year. No. yeah, and 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 gas prices coming up will actually help the economics of some of those oil plays too. Like for the last few years, that hasn't mattered at all. But if there's high gas prices, that actually can right. help it stimulate some more drilling so in the, the Permian. So gas becomes in an associated well the gas becomes a high-value product and oil becomes a byproduct. I mean, that would be a kind of a crazy <laughs> paradigm flip, but it could happen here because mm-hmm. uh, I just think that you're going to need a fairly high price to get these companies, whether they be oil or gas, dry gas companies, able to raise capital and or get their own cash flows up enough so that they can start drilling again. Yeah, so I can buy into the thesis that because of all the factors that we've discussed, the gas price has to go up. I know there's a lot of analysts on the street that are talking about three, four dollar gas, right? Yeah, there are some with views as high as four dollars into uh, next winter, into twenty twenty one, into next winter. But you know, longer term, 
I come back to the drilling rig and the genie and you, you can't put the technology genie back in the bottle, right? Like if the ability to liberate hydrocarbons with the new drilling technologies has become so good that, you know, not only in North America, but worldwide, I can see momentary momentary being measured as a, as a couple of years, elevated prices. But don't you think that there's sort of downward pressure overall? Well, you know, I, I agree. The past would tell you that just always works out. And these dry gas producers have actually been very resilient. If you look at natural gas production in the U.S. from those dry gas plays, over the last several years, even though prices have been low, they've actually still grown at something like nine BCF per day over that time. So it's always amazing to me that these gas producers, even though there seems to be no money, they continue to have fairly robust production. And that's my point, is that we are forecasting potentially higher natural gas prices. But if you actually look at the effectiveness of the technology and bringing the price down in the first place. I'm struggling to think that if we get, say, three, four dollars, that it's going to last. That's really my point. Yeah, I guess the big thing that's changed relative to two, three years ago is the financial situation of these companies. You know, like they can no longer raise equity. They can no longer raise debt. And that has fueled this sustainability, right? And they can no longer commit to these take-or-pay contracts because mm-hmm. of their fragile balance sheets. So I guess that's the big unknown is, you know, has the paradigm changed? Because, you know, consumers, let's talk about the consumers. They yeah, really- I think we should talk about the consumers because this has knock-on effects, right? Uh, if you're telling me that the 3 $4 is going to last, then it has potential impacts to the industrial consumers, you know, the, the, the companies that make the fertilizers and other types of chemicals and things from natural gas as an input. That's right. And they've enjoyed these very low prices over the last couple of years. But I wonder, has that come at a cost, right? Like they got the very cheap gas, mm-hmm. but over that whole time, the producers they rely on were becoming less viable businesses. And is that really in the consumer's interest over the long term? And I'll give you some examples. So I, I think many of our listeners know, because we've had these very low prices in Canada, the Alberta government stepped in and appointed a deputy minister to look at the situation. They worked with the industry and came up with a temporary protocol that uh, would change the problems with the gas. And some of the issues were around gas not being able to get into storage. And we've talked about that on prior podcasts. Yep. Anyway, this new protocol had to go to the regulator for approval. And everyone came to the regulator and there were some complaints issued by consumers of gas in Alberta. And these complaints were, this proposal will ultimately raise the average price of natural gas for the benefit of a small group of producers and at the expense of every natural gas consumer, residential, commercial, and industrial, both in and outside of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And a number of the big consumers like Dow Chemicals, Canadian Fertilizer, wrote in to say, you know, we want, we've we've enjoyed these cheap gas prices and we don't want the government to intervene to increase prices. But but prices were unsustainably low and it drove these dry gas producers, I think, into a position where they're not going to be able to deliver gas at uh, the same price as they would have if, if we didn't have such low prices for the last couple of years. So I guess my big question is, you know, consumers like to have low prices, but it can come at the expense of long-term prices if it's not a, a price that allows the producer to be a viable company. Yeah, I think that that's true. The consumer ultimately, you know, we've seen, let me, let me just back up. I mean, in 2003, four timeframe, when gas prices were higher and higher, I said this was a period of scarcity. We saw a lot of the industrial consumers say, okay, I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle 
$8, $9, $14 in the winter, I'm packing up and moving my plant to other parts of the world where natural gas is cheaper. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's so what we actually saw industrial large companies that made methanol and things like that move out of the country altogether, move out of both Canada and the United States. Then they all came back when the price fell, as we talked about a decade ago. But now if it's going to go back up, and especially if international prices are weak, will will we see that same dynamic? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say because, I mean, still prices will be relatively cheap. They're not going back, you know, to the prices we saw pre-shale gas. And then I also think that international price is temporary as well because it's not sustainable to have LNG prices that low. For example, it can cost you almost $3 per MMBTU just to do the liquefaction. Forget about how much you have to pay for the gas. Then sure. you got to ship it, yeah. and that can cost you up to a dollar depending on where you're going. So I think international prices are going to come up. They've got to come up to 6 or $7, I think, once this glut is sort of worked out of the system yeah. just to pay the costs of right. shipping. Now, I know there's a lot of long-term contracts that factor in here and people will ship even when they're losing money. But in the long time frame, it's got to at least cover your costs. And, yeah. and I think it's got to be quite a bit higher than North American prices to do that. It's going to be a very interesting couple of years to see all of this stuff play out. The reversals of fortune that we have seen in the past, maybe different reversals when we go forward when it comes to both natural gas and to oil with all sorts of consequences, has big consequences even to, for example, coal and the renewables. Like if the price of natural gas does go up, let's say it goes up significantly more than we expect, then all of a sudden you're going to see more coal and you're going to see more incentive for uh, the renewables to come in. Mm -hmm. And it might even help some of the storage economics. The storage economics that uh, continue to improve and people historically have said, no, it can't compete against natural gas. Why would I ever build a more expensive renewable system than a natural gas-fired power system? That whole paradigm could easily change with natural gas prices above $3, say. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's a lot to watch. But I think the bottom line is that we can't have, you know, you need that sweet spot, right? You can't have uneconomically low prices. They're they're not going to be good for the consumer long-term. And that might be what we're going to see play out here over the next several years, is you're going to have to create a profit margin for gas producers that brings investors back, that provides a return for investors, and therefore necessarily probably means higher prices than we've seen, in my view. That's my theory over the last couple of years. I mean, I, I would say I think that there are other variables here. Certainly one that I can candidly admit I underestimated was the ability of the drilling industry to <laughs> innovate even more. Yes, that's true. To bring the costs down even more. And, you know, getting back again to the drilling vignette that we talked about earlier, it's quite possible that uh, we're going to see even 10, 20% improvement yet again. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Even from that period of when we had $4 shale gas and we relied yeah. on dry gas in that 2010, 11 and, and on period, I'd say today the, the innovation has meant that that price is, is a lot lower even even today, yeah. right? So, and you're right, it continues to change and evolve. And honestly, these low prices are a real motivator for even more cost innovation. Yeah, and I think we've said it before uh, podcasts that the ability to bring a unit of energy to market, whether it's from oil, from gas, from solar, from wind, from whatever, has been deflating over the course of the 10 years by virtue of the implementation of new technologies. And I'm now no longer underestimating any one of these energy systems to continue to bring their costs down, especially if the price of the commodity goes up. I think you're going to see even more 
because actually it was the rise in gas prices oh, about 15 years ago, which actually allowed companies to tinker with the new technologies and bring them to market. Yeah, that's a good point. They now have some cash flow to be able to do some R&D and to figure it out. Well, time will tell. Let's mm-hmm. revisit this uh, sometime in the middle of 2021 and see uh, what's happened to gas prices. Oh, I think we're going to revisit it probably by the end of this year <laughs> when, when we're just sort of heading into winter. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, listeners, well, you'll have to tune in for that future episode. Thank you for joining our podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell someone else about it and rate us on the app that you listen to. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com. <laughs>